I will be reading from Daniel, chapter 2, verses 16 through 30. If I can find it. 15. Then Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time to tell the king the interpretation. Daniel went home and made the matter known to Hanyah, Michel, and Ezra, his companions, so that they could ask God in heaven for mercy concerning the secret, and thus save Daniel and his companions from dying, along with the other sages of Babel. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel blessed God in heaven with these words. Blessed be the name of God from eternity past to eternity future. For wisdom and power are his alone. He brings the changes of seasons and times. He installs and disposes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those with discernment. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what lies in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for giving me wisdom and power, for revealing to me what we wanted from you, and for giving us the answer for the king. So Daniel went to see Akiov, whom the king had charged with destroying the sages of Babel, and said to him, Don't destroy the sages of Babel. Bring me before the king, and I will give the king the interpretation. Quickly, Abo brought Daniel before the king and told him, I have found one of the exiles from Yehuda who will reveal the interpretation to his majesty. The king said to Daniel, whose name had been changed to Belzar, Can you tell me what I dreamt and what it means? Daniel answered the king, No sage, exorcist, magician, or astrologer can tell his majesty the secret he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who unlocks mystery, mysteries, and he has revealed to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future days. Here are your dreams and visions you had in your head when you went to bed. Your majesty, when you were in bed, you, been, you began thinking about what would take place in the future. And he who reveals secrets has revealed to you what will happen. Yet this secret has not been revealed to me because I am wiser than anyone living, but so that the meaning can be made known to your majesty. Then you can understand the thoughts of your own mind. Thank you, Paula. Father God, we um, bless you and thank you for your sovereign control 
in this world. And uh, thank you, Lord, that you know all things, that nothing escapes your knowledge. Thank you, Lord, for this very familiar passage. We pray, Lord God, that your spirit would draw new and special and precious insights for us. Speak to us, Lord, we pray in the name of Yeshua. Amen. This is a very familiar passage, um, and we are continuing. <coughs> Sorry, I uh, just got something wrong. Pipe. Um, we're continuing in the series on Daniel, and Rabbi David will be speaking next Shabbat. I could buy it with a little help from my friends. But uh, before we uh, discuss um, and dive into this chapter, I wanted to share a story, kind of a um, follow-up on last week. If you remember, I mentioned my adventures or misadventures with our fearless uh, United States government. Uh, when I went to get my uh, Medicare card, and um, uh, for some strange reason, something that should have taken a couple weeks has been taken months. And uh, with me going back and forth and back and forth and calling and calling, etc. If you have had the pleasure of dealing with our illustrious government, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And. Uh, at some point, I got highly nervous. You know, that happens to all of us. When you get your buttons pushed, we all have buttons, right? Uh, and for me, the button is the fact that if I didn't get Medicare card, I would have no medical insurance. I'm diabetic, and so uh, that was a concern. And so I became nervous, like the children of Israel who were oppressed by their enemies, and then after 40 years, they got it, and they cried out to God. So it didn't take me 40 years, but I cried out to God, and the Lord brought a scripture to mind that um, had been a real support for me throughout the years. And that scripture is in Proverbs 21.1. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand, and he moves it like a man moves a water course. Watercourse, by the way, is a water channel. And for me, it was a sanity saver in all kinds of circumstances where I felt that things were way out of my control. Uh, so I prayed that, and I received some comfort, and not only comfort, but reassurance that, you know, maybe God was still around and in control. And uh, things began to part ways a little bit. And then it seemed like the door slammed shut. Um, and it was somewhat interesting. I had lunch with one of our young fellows this week. And he's going through a tough time at work. Um, one of his co-workers decided to get real ugly and give him, as we say in Jewish, tzuras, difficulties. And I said, you know, the issue, Chris, isn't just the fact that you need help for God to 
part away and make the problem go away. The issue really is, underneath or above all that, is the fact that God custom designed the situation in order to get your attention, in order to bring about an opportunity for growth for you. And his response was, of course, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> you know, the attitude is, I need help. I need it now. Don't talk to me about, no, Chris didn't say that. He's a good guy. But um, I felt real good about encouraging him. And then I went to the office and got a text from my wife that uh, in the mail came a couple of letters. Um both from Social Security. One denied me uh, my Medicare claim since I was not a citizen or not even a resident. Now, it just so happened that I became a naturalized citizen 40 years ago. And uh, the, other, the other envelope had a brand new Social Security card since I asked them since I told them that mine had withered and gone away. So I did one of these things. Uh, if you're a Trekkie, you'll know what I'm, what I'm talking about, where you go irrational, illogical. And uh, blood pressure rose, and uh, you know I got inwardly very huffy, and I thought, okay, I, this is crazy. I need to get some, some legal counsel. I'm going to go in there. And I'm going to yell and, you know, you know the drill. And uh, then I remember the counsel I had given Chris a couple of hours earlier. <laughs> and you see, folks, that's the bad thing about being a preacher. You have to practice what you preach. And uh, the Lord eventually calmed me down and, and, uh, and brought to mind another scripture and this is the, the wonderful thing about the Word of God as you read it and process and digest it and feed it into your brain uh, and it penetrates between the titanium plates. Um, God speaks to you using, using those words. And a scripture from Isaiah came to mind. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, the Holy One of Israel, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness... Not in screaming and hollering and suing. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Blah, blah, blah. And um, I said, okay, God, I get it. And so um, called the next day, Social Security. Uh, Talked to me. They're very nice. They said, you'll have it in two to four weeks. And I, I was sorely tempted to say to them sarcastically, I've heard that before. <laughs> but at this point, you know, God has this button. Um, I believe that in good time, the Medicare card will come. And for me, it's another opportunity to learn how to trust God. And and you, you you think to yourself, okay, I I believe in God. You know, ninety percent of America says that they believe in God. Okay, now what does that mean? Well, what it means is that 
it's not just believing something about God, but it is learning to put your trust and confidence in the fact that God is around, that he knows you, that he understands you, that he cares, and furthermore, that he has the power to make a difference in your life. And folks, this is so crucial, so urgent, especially in this day and age that, that we live you know, when you turn to the news and you say, okay, who just got killed, who just got murdered, who stabbed, um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you can dive into a, a fear mode or you can say, no, I'm not going to go there. Yes, horrible things are happening. I'm, I'm certainly not going to uh, airbrush them and, and say, no, it's, everything is okay. Things are difficult in our society. Um, we're barraged. We're barraged in all kinds of ways. And, and I, uh, I may have mentioned last Shabbat that I listened to um, a uh, futurist. Uh, this was on, on a um, um, retreat that Joy and I went and, and this fellow, uh, his name is Richard Swenson, who wrote a book called uh, Margins, the fact that you need to have margins in life, that if you don't have margins, you get burned out. But one of the things he said is that we live in a society where we are barraged, where we experience sensory overload, where we get so much stuff flying at us that it is not possible for us to digest properly everything that we see and hear and, and experience. And so with all of that in mind, you can either say, I don't have to digest, figure out, control, massage everything that comes because there is a God who is in charge of it, my God, and, and I can rest and understand the fact that what I need to deal with will be made clear to me, and that will be my assignment, and I'm okay with that, and the rest I lay aside. You know, sometimes I remember Yeshua's words where he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes you want, I, I, I had in times past wanted to say, Lord, your yoke is so easy that I'm, I'm about to die. And then I realized that what I was carrying was not his yoke. It was my yoke. That the 800-pound gorilla that was on my back was not put there by God. And uh, part of it is how we process these very difficult, what I would call the white-knuckle kind of experiences. And, of course, being somewhat OCD, I had to look up the definition of white-knuckle and uh, I was told that white-knuckle experience is when you hold something with your hands in constant position, so tight and so long that blood rushes away from your knuckles and they become pale and sweaty. Um, you know, especially with the grabbing onto a steering wheel. And I have another story I'll tell you about that later. But the short version is you see something coming and you're absolutely powerless to do much about it. And you see it coming, you see it coming, and, and you do the white knuckle. And what you see here 
in Daniel chapter 2 is really a white knuckle experience. And sometimes we read something often and it really doesn't make an impact. Um, you know, these stories in Daniel are very familiar to most of us. And so I want to encourage you to dive more deeply into this today so that we can draw some lessons. Well, first of all, the scenario here, and, and by the way, we'll talk about the, the meaning of the vision uh, in another Shabbat, possibly next Shabbat. I wanted to set the stage today for, for uh, what is taking place here. But this is very surreal. Think about this. Here you have this guy who has absolute power. He can snap his finger and somebody's going to be dead. In fact, um, he has a nightmare. Well, okay, um, I think everybody here in this room has had at least one nightmare, right? You wake up sweaty and uh, um, you're in some crazy situation and you blow it off and, and you go on and you get a cup of coffee and you begin the day. Um, well, in those days, if a king had a nightmare, he couldn't blow it off. Why? Because their understanding was that the nightmares, these kind of dreams portended, they, uh, had, they um, gave you clues about what was going to happen. And since he was the king, he felt he needed to have all the possible intelligence to be able to make the right kind of decisions. So he has a nightmare and he's freaking because it's not only about him, it's about the empire. And so you may know, um, we talked about that some last Shabbat, that the Babylonians and, and the ancient people, the other ancient people, put a great deal of stock in discerning the future. I mean, we do some of that, uh, but for them, the the astronomy and mathematics and all these things uh, were focused and, and directed towards divination. In other words, discerning what was going to happen. And as you look at some of these titles of these people, you see that there are, some of them are fairly neutral, but some of them are things that the Torah explicitly forbade uh, where God says you will not mess around with these kinds of things. Um, divination and um, um, enchantment and, and uh, you know, all these ways of discerning the future. Why? Because God said to the people of Israel, I'm the one who controls the future. And if you need information, you come talk to me. You don't sit and, and mess around with, with uh, uh, the shape of the liver or, or the way the, the leaves fall or these kinds of things. And so into that kind of situation, Daniel is, is thrust into. Think about that. Here is a 20-something-year-old. We don't know for sure how old he was. Um, and, and he is thrust into into the midst of all of that. So the king says to his wise men, so-called wise men, My, I had a dream that troubles me, and I must know what it means. And when the king says, I must know, he means, I must know. 
And so uh, the people, the, the Hebrew word for distress there means to be impelled or thrust. In other words, this dream kind of poked me in, in my consciousness. And um, you can understand why the so-called wise people said to him, King, give us a little clue here. I mean, what was this dream and this nightmare like? So we can try and figure it out and, and use our magic and finagle some kind of answers. And the king says, no. You will tell me what the dream was and you will do it quickly. Because if you don't, you're telling me that you're trying to come around me and, and, and uh, form some kind of a conspiracy to kill me. Well, in those days, that was a short hop. If you know something about the history of of that era, you know that there were all kinds of conspiracies, backroom conspiracies. For example, we see that in the book of Esther, um, where a couple of the officials wanted to, to kill King Ahasuerus. So the king, in his kindest, gentlest version, says, you tell me what it is or I will have you cut to pieces. And um, despite the fact that the wise people pleaded with him, he says no. That actually made the king more and more furious. Um, so that he orders the execution of the wise people. Now again, folks, remember that Daniel is a teenager who is born with a silver spoon in his mouth and is grabbed... Um, by the Babylonians from Jerusalem and hauled off about 1,200 miles to come into, into Babylon, into this pagan, totally pagan environment. I mean, Jerusalem was bad. It was very toxic. But this is worse. And, and here, he is in a situation where definitely white-knuckle situation. So the posse comes to Daniel because he apparently represented the 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 um the four of them the four Hebrews and basically the the head of the, the posse and by the way the, the Hebrew word for officials here uh is literally the slaughterers tabachim uh these were not exactly um teddy bear types And so put yourself in Daniel's shoes. Here come this posse, and he's told that the king says, you guys will die because you're not able to tell me the dream. Now, in, in Daniel's shoes, I don't know what I would be doing. I, I would possibly be doing one or two extremes, either, either saying, okay, I'm dead, or else going to the other extreme and trying to Babel and, and finagle come up with some kind of a scheme. Um, we will see that Daniel does neither one of those. Uh, in fact, when Arioch, by the way, that's got to get the guttural there, comes, Daniel speaks to him with wisdom and tact. Um, again, you're told... 
you're going to be executed. And Daniel speaks to him sensibly and tactfully. He doesn't say, what's the matter with this idiot king? Um, in fact, in verse 15, um, Daniel says to the officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And uh, apparently the word in Aramaic there normally means harsh. But in this situation that is very tenuous, very tense, probably likely what Daniel is really saying is, uh, he, you know, maybe the king is a little hasty here. Maybe before he ex executes all of us, maybe we need some additional time. But what comes to mind, at least for me, and I imagine for all of us, in that kind of situation was, okay, how do I survive? Survival is number one. Um, I don't care about the king. I don't care about uh, Arioch and, and the posse. Number one, how do I survive? And, and what we find throughout these experiences in Daniel 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 is that something emerges that is not obvious right off the bat. And so I wanted to park there for a moment or so. And that is that what is really at stake is not the life of Daniel and his buddies or the wise men. What is at stake is the fact that here in the country of their enemies, in this pagan country, God of Israel, the God of Israel has to be displayed as El Elyon, God Most High. That's really the number one issue. It's not the fact that Daniel and his buddies have to survive, which God will see to it. It's no big deal for him. The number one issue here is that God, the God of Israel, has to be displayed in this pagan, hostile environment as the God of the universe. Um, because the mindset of the people was simply this. Um, if I come to fight you, and if I whoop you, then that means that my God is bigger than your God. On the other hand, if you whoop me, then that means that your God is bigger than my God. So from the Babylonian, from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, Baal or Marduk, who was the Papa God, uh, was clearly the number one God. Why? Because he enabled the Babylonians to conquer the nation of Israel, conquer Jerusalem. And that, folks, the Lord God finds absolutely unacceptable. That is not okay. That has to be proven for what it is, an absolute lie. Even... In, in this situation where the people of Israel are in the land of their enemies. So somehow, through this scenario, what I'd like to encourage all, all of us to do as we read these chapters is observe the fact that, yes, there's a human drama that is taking place here, but above that is the spiritual or divine drama in which God is working hard to see to it that not only his people, but the Babylonians themselves get a clue about who is the supreme deity here. And by the way, we find that also in Egypt 
where the ten with the ten plagues where the Lord says to Moses, uh, this is my strategy because I want that Egypt will know that I am the Lord. And as we've heard from time to time through the Torah portion, um, that in fact is what happens. The Egyptians somehow get it and the word spreads and, and, and it spreads to Canaan so that the prostitute uh, Rahab also hears about it and knows that the God of Israel is the God above all gods. So that's the strategy here, folks. And I wanted to just park for a minute on this because for us, when we have crises, when we have white-knuckle situations, what grabs us first and foremost is, God, get me out of here. I'm having a hard time. I need answers. I need them now or else I'm, I'm a goner. That's what comes and smacks us in the face. But as we grow spiritually in maturity, hopefully we realize that there's more to our drama and what takes place on the stage of our life than what is our need. But what really needs to appear on the stage is the hand of God uh, working in and our situation, in and through our situation, so that people who are around us and who observe our lives will know who our God is. And that's a reality we need to learn to embrace with both hands and both feet so that when crises come, we don't just say, God, get me out of here, but we say, God, what is it that you want to do here in this situation with me and with somebody else? Eventually, perhaps we start with, okay, God, what, what is it you want to tell me? And, and we go beyond that and say, okay, what needs to happen more broadly? What is the panorama, the, the, the broader perspective here? Daniel gets it. Now, he obviously is not living in a different universe. He knows that he is about to be killed. In verse 17, Daniel returns to his house, explains the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, their, their Hebrew name, their identity, and he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Uh, in other words, um, he is telling his buddies to do some heavy-duty praying. They're not just going to say, Lord, um, we know you can handle it, so you know the situation, so here it is. Uh, would you please fix it? Goodbye. We're on to something else. Pleading for mercy means that they're praying with a great deal of intensity. Not just a little prayer, but on and on and on. Lord knows how long. And perhaps you've been in those kinds of situations where you felt you you were between a rock and a hard place and you cried out to God for help and you cried out to God for help and you cried out to God for help some more until at some point you, you sensed that God was hearing you. I mean, he was hearing you all along, but at some point you got the sense that, that he was hearing you and that he was going to respond. You know, again, what jumps out at me is the fact that here 
you have in this chapter four times reference to the God of heaven. Daniel knows that, and, and he says that to his buddies. He also says that to the king. In other words, he doesn't say, King, you, you stupid bozo, what's the matter with you? You shouldn't believe in Marduk. But he says, let me tell you what the, the God of heaven is saying. Because for him, the basic reality that defines his life is the conviction that God is in control, that he is sovereign. Again, remember, this guy is a young fellow. He hasn't had tons and tons and tons of experiences in his life to convince him of who God is. But somehow... God did something special in him and he has a special heart for God and he understands the fact that his life is determined and governed by who God is. So as he's praying that night, God reveals the, uh, the mystery and it is a mystery. Think about it. Um, Nebuchadnezzar is pagan. He worships pagan gods. And somehow, the God of Israel, God saw to it that in his brain came a vision and a dream that was directed by the God of Israel. It's a mystery how that happened, how God got inside his, his neural mechanisms and uh, somehow that he, he got that. God reveals that to Daniel and um, Daniel begins right off the bat if you look at the prayer here in chapter 2 Daniel begins with a prayer of thanksgiving blessed be the name of God forever and ever now again remember as far as, far as facts on the ground go Daniel could well be facing execution. He hasn't gotten the word from the king or the king's court. All he knows is that God told him what the dream was and, and explained the meaning of the dream. But there was no assurance whatsoever from a human source of what was going to happen. And yet, what does he do? He stops and gives thanks. And folks, this is sanity saver for us. In all circumstances, to stop and give thanks. Why? Well, some of it is proper for God because that, that is right and fitting to give thanks to God for what he does, to acknowledge him. But a big chunk of that is for us. Because when we pause and give thanks to God and remember what he has done in the past and who he is, it, it grounds us, it anchors us, or to use a new age term, it centers us um, and reminds us of the fact that God has been using his power on our behalf in times past. That's huge, folks. It, it, it helps us realign our reality so that we remember that God has been engaged in our behalf in times past. 
And it also is a faith promoter so that we realize, you know, God did this for me in the past. I have good reason to believe that he's going to do all kinds of good things for me in the future. That's what Daniel begins with. He begins with thanksgiving. And he acknowledges who God is. First of all, he is the sovereign. He is the absolute sovereign. He is the one that sets up kings and puts them down. By the way, as we prepare for the um, election later on in, in the fall, let's remember that, folks. God is the one who sets people up and puts them down. Um, and this is huge because, again, remember, Daniel um, is one of the is part of the court of an absolute monarch who can snap his finger and say, uh, "I don't like your looks." You know, you twitched your nose funny at me, so uh, you chief of uh, of butchers, the slaughterers, grab this guy and do, do away with him. That's reality, folks. In the midst of the human drama, you say God is absolute, absolutely sovereign. And Daniel also puts it this way. He gives, he has the power and the wisdom. So what that means is that we don't need to scramble and and furiously um, frantically like rabbits or rats trying to figure out the, some kind of way out of it but we recognize that whatever wisdom whatever smarts we need in a given situation as we learn to ask God and depend on him it will be given to us the word of God gives us a series of <clears throat> very Simple, straightforward statements that make it very clear that when we are in tough situations, what we need to do is ask God for wisdom in the assurance that he will give us the necessary wisdom. Why? Not, not so that we can figure our way out of something, but so that we can do what he wants. That's the, that's the, that's the goal. That's the bullseye. Again, remember that Daniel in this pagan court has to demonstrate the fact that his God is greater and is greater than all gods. That's the goal. And so he depends he, he depends on God to give him the wisdom. He thanks God when God does give him the wisdom and the strength. Now why strength? Well, think about it. Uh, in Daniel's shoes you have a, a vision, you have interpretation, you know exactly what what God um, explained to you, but then you have what in our culture sometimes has been called the come to Jesus moment. You know, the, the okay, here, it, here, here is reality. You come to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar now asks you, okay, uh, would you explain to me? And, and, you know, I was thinking about that, and what came to mind is that in Daniel's shoes, I would have said something like, uh, oh, king, you should live so long. Uh, I think I have some idea, but, you know, I'm young, and please be patient if it doesn't come out just right. Uh, I'm doing the best I can. Uh, 
um, you have absolutely no diffidence, no, no stammering, stuttering on Daniel's part. The king says to him, are you able to tell me what I saw? And Daniel begins right off the bat by saying, King, this is not about me. This is not about me. I'm not cute and clever and I, I, it doesn't come from me. It comes from the God in heaven right off the bat. This God in heaven has shown the king, shown you what will happen in days to come and Daniel explains that to him a couple of times. In other words, where does he put the spotlight? Does he put the spotlight on himself? Or does he put the spotlight on the Lord? Folks, it is so easy to be self-consumed. It is so easy to be self-consumed for all of us. You know, sometimes people, uh, I hear people talk about this being Chaim's congregation. And I cringe. And if there are, if I'm within earshot, I, as gently as I know how, I kick them in the shins <laughs> because I want to remind folks that this is Yeshua's congregation. And if you have been here for a while and if you have sensed the call of God to be part of Yeshua Tzion, this is your congregation, our congregation, not his um, and that's our goal at Yeshua Tzion, is to put the focus not on each one of us, but to put the focus on the Lord. That's our goal, that's our desire, folks, that a year from now, we'll be able to say, you know, I'm farther along now in my relationship to God, in my knowledge of God, in my trust in God, my confidence in who He is, than I was back here a year ago. I know God has shown himself to me in a number of different ways and I have greater reason to trust him. So I want to close with another white-knuckle moment. Um, you know, after a while I accumulate these things and, and I stop, uh, stop counting. Well, there was, uh, I was heading to... A, chiropractor's um, appointment doing the speed limit yes folks and um, a gal came from the other side of the intersection and pulled right in front of me I was doing 40 miles an hour and you know how it is in, in, in the split second you see these things happen and uh, I slam on the brakes and I slam into her, and the the airbag deploys and comes a couple of inches away from my face. And I get out of the car, unhurt. I mean, you, you know, I had to go back to the chiropractor. <laughs> but I, I emerge from the car and see that the front end of the car is mushed. And in about one minute, there's uh, four or five different uh, emergency vehicles from different counties and, and uh, the fire and so on and so forth. 
and uh, they uh, quizzed me, and they, they quizzed the lady who was driving, and she, of course, wants to, to say that it was all my fault, uh, but somehow um, a fellow pops up who was a witness, and he says, uh, I saw what happened, and I would be glad to testify for you, unsolicited. And, um, and so, as it turns out, um, you know, you've been through the drill where you're, in, uh, you're quizzed by this, that, the other, insurance, and so on. And, and this fellow uh, submits the information, and, um, and, and the lady is ticketed. The, the point is, I, I emerge from this simply recognizing the fact that God's hand was on me at that particular moment. Um, not because I, in all the six billion people in the universe, I am unique and, and extremely special. In a sense, I am. <laughs> like all of us here. And, and what, what simply came to mind is the reality that God will see to it that what I need will be provided so that I can do what he wants to be done. You know, the same thing as with Daniel, with the rest of us, when we face those white-knuckle moments, it isn't, God, what's going to happen to me, and, and etc. But, Lord, you're doing something here. You have a plan. I, I, I want to be part of that plan. I, I want to see beyond just what's in front of my face. And I want to honor you. I want to see to it that you are exalted. In other words, brought up so that people can see who you are and acknowledge the fact that you are greater than Baal and Marduk and, and all this stuff in our modern idols, which we have plenty of. And that, that to me, is, is uh, what I take from, from this episode with Daniel. Um, extreme situation. Thank God none of us are in a place here where somebody wants to execute us. Um, but the truth of the matter is we find ourselves in, in difficult situations where we have the so-called fight-or-flight syndrome um, whether it's at work or in relationships or health issues. And we can either learn to say, God, um, you're not surprised by what's going on. You have a plan here. Uh, I want to be part of that plan. I want to know what you're doing. I want to trust you for the fullness of what you have. And I want to give you thanks and honor you. Remember, folks, the very simple statement of Scripture that says that God honors those who honor him. Very simple statement. Let's remember that. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, <clears throat> that you're faithful. You persevere with us. You don't bail out on us, Lord. Um, you know us with all our shtick, all our nonsense, and uh, you love us. And you're faithful, and, and Lord, we 
stand secure in that knowledge. And uh, Lord God, we pray for each one of us. You know what areas we struggle in and where we have fallen short and where we have failed and where we even break our teeth. Lord, uh, thank you that you're well aware of all of that. Lord, we pray for new eyes, new, new, new set of glasses, Lord God, to see not merely the circumstances, but Lord, to see you at work and to tune in to your, to your plan of action and to participate in it. And we pray, Lord God, that in and through us, you would receive much honor and glory that other people would see us and recognize who you are and give, give you the proper honor and respect that belongs to you, Lord. And that's our heart's desire. Lord, uh, speak to each one of us in our current circumstances. Lord, and where our faith is wobbly, we pray that you would increase our faith, give us robust faith, to trust you, Lord God, and to acknowledge you and to wait upon you, Lord, to, to see your action. And we um, ask this in the name of Yeshua.